Welcome to the Facts versus Feelings podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sonu Varghese. Cutting through the noise in 30 minutes each week with Ryan Dietrich, Chief Market Strategist, and Sonu Varghese, VP Global Macro Strategist, taking out the boring and helping investors focus on what really matters. A quick note before we start the show. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor, Carson Partners, a division of CWM LLC, is a nationwide partnership of advisors. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very, very live special edition of Facts versus Feelings with Ryan and Sonu. Sonu, we're coming live from Nashville at Excel. This is episode... 53. We, we think 53, because this will be recorded and shared later, but we're so honored to have a room full of people here today. We're even more honored, again, live from Excel at Nashville with Alejandro from Ned Davis Research. I just call you Alejandro. I'll be full in full disclosure. Alejandro. You're like one name. You're like Madonna. You're Alejandro <laughs> from Ned Davis Research, and we're honored to have you today. Thank you so much for having me. I love being known by one name. This is incredible. Yeah. Are you? I, she's the first... Economist we've had on the podcast, or I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> no, it's good. Well, you know, Neil, Neil Dada, Neil Dada, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Definitely. yeah. yes, but but no, it's an honor to have you. Thank oh you. my yeah. gosh, it's an honor yeah. to be here with the two of you. We had Ed Ed Plissold from Ned Davis a while back, their strategist, but we're we're really excited here. So let's just kind of let's dive into it again. We're recording this from Nashville. Uh, plan is we'll go about thirty minutes, and then if you're listening to this podcast, we're going to turn it off. And people in the room will have time for Q&A, and there is a mic somewhere in the middle, so I guess the way we'll do it, I know it's not ideal if you just want to walk up and talk into the mic. Um, actually, you know what? It doesn't matter, because we're not recording it. So we yeah, don't or you can so yell your question. You can never mind. This, this is how the sausage is made. You can just yell it, because it doesn't matter. We're not going to record it for the podcast. All right, Alejandro, let's just start high level here. Um, what do you do for Ned Davis Research? I am the chief economist of Ned Davis Research. Um, I have been at NDR since 2006. So like many other folks at NDR, we've been there a very long time. Um, I started off at NDR as an international economist, and my job was to take what we had in the U.S. service, which had been produced for decades at that point, and replicate it for the rest of the world. So no, no easy task. And then throughout all the years, just been building out the services and now head the economics um, product that we have at NDR right now. So one thing we hear, and I get this a lot, and we hear that the stock market is not the economy. Mm-hmm. And the economy definitely is not the stock market either, right? Corollary of that. But So you're the chief economist at NDR, and I'm sure everyone's seen the amazing NDR charts. I look at it all the time. I know Ryan likes to look at it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of charts on market sentiment, technicals, valuation, all of that. And how, do you, how does your work go into everything NDR sort of produces? And it gets to the question of, yeah. you know, how is the stock market related to the economy? Why, or the other way around. Why, why macro matters. Right. And, yeah. you know... Having been an economist in the financial industry for so long, visiting clients, that is such a common question. And, you know, you want to be able to prove them wrong because you also want to keep your job, right? Sure. <laughs> you, have to, yes. you, know, you have to make sure that you're relevant. Um, so we do focus on a lot of the indicators that are timely, um, that drive the market. I think when people make those conclusions about, you know, the economy lags, they're just looking at GDP, which mm-hmm. is released with a big lag. 
But when I think about what are my, my most important things at NDR as the chief economist, again, we're a top-down macro firm, so all of it starts with the state of the economy. Um, the first thing is just identifying the business cycle. So where we are in the business cycle, are we in expansion? Are we in recession? Is it coming fairly soon? Because as we all know, that's when you get your really bad equity bear markets. So you need to know whether you're in recession or not. Central bank policy. So one of our key rules of research at NDR is don't fight the Fed. Because I'm a global economist, I like to extend the definition and say, don't fight the world's central banks. And we have all of these excellent indicators that call the market, that look at monetary policy and what it means for, say, you know, being over or underweight equities. Um, for relative calls as well, you know, we all want to know what should we be overweight U.S.? Should we be underweight a certain sector? Again, the economy is super important because you can look at relative trends within economic sectors, within what's you know, happening with the global economy. And then themes. There's a lot of long-term themes out there that can drive markets in the long term. Um, shameless plug, I've done a lot of work on demographics and labor markets over the years, and I also write a whole lot about that. So yes, I try to improve, uh, prove my importance at, at NDR, and I think it's Hopefully it worked out so well. I'm still there. So. <laughs> Definitely put a pin in the demographics. I know we'll come back nice, to that. Week. Nice, you nice. Know, you know. Let's talk about something that people in the room are thinking about. Because Sono and I were just up here on stage right before this. And this question came up. You know, inflation, deflation, all these deflationary pressures that are out there. We've heard about them for the longest time, globalization, things like that. Yet, boom, the pandemic happened. 9% CPI, you know, even higher PPI. <laughs> what PPI, 11%? I mean, you're the economist. Yeah, Somewhere yeah. around there, right? I mean, bad. it came back down. But what is it? I mean, where are we going, let's say, 10 years from now? Are these deflationary things we've heard about going to take over, or is inflation going to be a little bit higher longer term because of the kickstart that happened after the pandemic? What are, what are your views there? Uh, it's, it's a, again, one of the more common questions. I remember when I used to visit clients, I would maybe have like one or two charts on inflation because we knew it was going to be 2%. Mm -hmm. It was easy peasy, right? Mm -hmm. So I think if we go back and we look at the pandemic and we see the surge in inflation that we got, it was definitely pandemic-driven. There was no doubt about it. Um, so that whole term of transitory, I mean, I, I think it makes sense. It's just the problem is that transitory lasted a lot longer than many of us had anticipated. So it's important to sort of step back and think about, well, what was already changing prior to the pandemic, and what did the pandemic change? And so going forward, you know, I don't think we're going to be in this, you know, 4 5% inflation permanently higher mode. But there are some things the pandemic, you know, did change. Um, you know, one area is the labor market. We haven't seen a full recovery once you include the, you know, entire population over the age of 15. Mm -hmm. Are we going to get that number back? Because that can, you know, determine certain things. Um, Deglobalization or whether it actually happens. I know this was something that started before the pandemic, but I think the pandemic may have accentuated it. And then to me, probably the most powerful is, you know, you take something transitory, like a spike in inflation, mm -hmm. and it just sticks around longer than normal. What does it do? It gets into your head, right? And that's really the key concern is this vague notion of inflation expectations. Do we get stuck into our head that inflation is going to stay higher for longer? We're willing to accept it. We ask for it in our wages, and it ultimately becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you kind of look at those three elements, and they argue that, yeah, maybe inflation won't get back to what it was before the pandemic. And speaking of long-term, I see Bert, why Bert had a great slide yesterday talking about long-term economic growth is, you know, two factors, basically. One is labor force growth, 
the other's productivity, right? Now I'm thinking about like wage inflation, like wage growth, right? Wage growth can be some of you know productivity and inflation. Now you can have strong wage growth with low inflation, but then let's talk productivity, right? What do you? What, are we doomed to have low productivity, especially like we talk AI and all of that? We're right. talking about AI today, and I'm thinking back to 20 years ago, and the internet came. Mm-hmm. You know, we had that. And yes, maybe productivity is not measured in the right way, all of it. But we surely we haven't seen it in growth anyway, right? <laughs> growth was like U.S. economic growth was about two percent. So surely productivity was not more than that, right? Are we doomed to have low productivity going going forward? Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's what's your comparison base, sure. right? So. Yeah, I, 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 was, I, I even teach this to my young children. My, my, my poor kids who are in elementary school, they're, they're constantly being taught about economics. But I say, what, what are the... That's terrible. <laughs> I know, I'm horrible. I'm horrible. They, they, they know how to drown me out. That's one thing they're learning how to do. But, you know, the, the, the key theme is I, I tell them, if you were to fall asleep for 50 years and wake up, would the world be dramatically different? And I think if we go back, you know, say the past 100 years, past 150 years, and you do those 50-year increments, those were some pretty big changes. Could we do that again? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. But at the same time, those, you could argue those periods were anomalies. So, so that's first, like, what's your comparison base? That's one side of it. Um, the other side of just thinking about, say, the past 20 years and the Internet boom, um, you know, that there's a few, that, that this has been the big debate. There's a lot of reasons why people try to explain why productivity hasn't been as strong. Um, you know, one, one reason could just be adoption, right? So if companies are getting bigger and bigger, which they have been over the past few decades, a lot of them are incentivized to adopt new technologies because it's expensive, right? And they don't have as much competition. So that's supposedly been one of the arguments. Um, another argument, too, is actually just the makeup of the economy. Construction, for example, you know, especially in the early 2000s, was sure. a very chunk of, large chunk of growth. And it's because it's very cyclical and very labor-intensive, it's not super productive. It could be productive, but sure. it's not. So that in and itself brings, you know, from a rounding perspective, brings things down. But, you know, there have been a lot of advances, especially with AI, and I think also, one issue could be perhaps a measurement issue. So um, as we become more services heavy, as a lot of technologies just make our lives better and easier, how do you actually record that? And sure. so I think it's not necessarily being reflected in the data, and I think productivity could be much bigger than we think it is. How important is it to have, because to have productivity, businesses have to invest at the end of the day. Right, it's business investment. It's that component of like you think GDP growth. It's you know this household consumption, but this business investment. One thing like over the last twenty years, businesses haven't invested a lot. Is there a potential for that to change when you, if you're looking at the next five to ten years? Well, we we, we always hope for that, and we look sure. at the yes. surveys and. You know, you, 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 do, you do see some underlying data, but again, businesses are very cyclical. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, we didn't end up in recession, but if we do eventually down the road, that's going to, you know, kind right. of stop that. Now, one thing I will point out is businesses often invest if the cost of doing it is worth it. And mm-hmm. one of the things I alluded to, especially when I was talking about construction being very labor intensive, think about, you know, 2000s and on labor wasn't, didn't grow that quickly, right? right. The, the prices, the wages, they were sort of kept, kept intact. And now we're sort of at a different story. Again, another thing the mm-hmm. pandemic changed. It had a demographic factor on the labor force. We've seen wage growth soar. 
Um, collective bargaining is increasing as well. And so, Thinking about all the strikes now. And, exactly. You know, like if exactly. wages are cheap, maybe there's less incentive there, to so, invest. Exactly. So I think perhaps the pandemic may have accelerated this investment mm. or brought it forward because, as we know, it's been there this whole time, right. but may have accelerated it and brought it forward. And we've even seen it. You know, I live in Florida, um, so... So some of you will, will be like, yeah, and other people are like, oh, no, you know. There were no yeah, tears. They're, 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 they're not tears. <laughs> like, I'm just saying. Yeah. Come on, guys. You know, we, we are, but I guess it's Tennessee is south, or I, Tennessee. you know, I guess it's the south. Just all the you weird know, stories. Ryan and me Florida, live yes. in the Midwest. So, yeah. You know. But um, but, but in, in, in Florida, we're a hugely service industry. And when the pandemic happened, um, you know, we have still, to be honest with you, have a huge shortage of workers. And so a lot of areas in the service industry have just gotten a lot more creative. So, you know, you, you see it. You go to a restaurant and there's a QR code instead of, sure. you know, a menu being handed to you. You, if you want to call and make a reservation, they don't even have someone who answers the phone anymore. There's an automated service or you do it online. And so these weren't highly productive industries to begin with. And I think that's really a perfect example on how the pandemic, you know, took something that was a shortage um, worked with what they had and, you know, made it made it more productive. And even in fast food chains now, right? Sure. A lot of them now have, you know, the stand-up oh, yeah. kiosk where yeah. you order. And that may not have happened as quickly. Yeah, but they still put onions on it if you say no onions. <laughs> Dude, I know, right? It doesn't really matter. That's a, that's a, the milkshake machine's broken. It never fails. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about milkshakes. That's a whole other we'll talk about milkshakes in a minute. Probably. Not yet. I know. <laughs> I know what you were thinking. Right? Oh, so can we talk about the t-shirts? Yeah. Well, yeah. So this is again. This is episode fifty-three of Carson's Facts versus Feelings with Ryan and Sonu live from Nashville with Alejandra from Ned Davis Research. We do have. What are we wearing, Sonu? Besides yeah, clothes, you, this is a podcast. We hope they're wearing something. <laughs> yeah. What shirt are we wearing, Sonu? And I took a moment to realize that we are people actually just listening to this and not watching us. But right. but we do have this on YouTube, by the way. That's so That's you true. could watch us on what's the episodes on YouTube. We are we finally got swag. We got after it took fifty one episodes, fifty three episodes to get some swag. We have the facts versus feelings uh, t shirts on, and thank you to uh, I'll let Ryan do. You Ryan's it? You see standing it? up and oh, he's got Ned Davis Research sponsor and Dave Hagen. So thank oh you to God. Ned Davis Research yeah. and Dave Hagen for that. We really appreciate the. We really appreciate the partnership. I mean, obviously, appreciate the t-shirts, but uh. <laughs> obviously, yeah. No, I mean, I've been a fan of that Davis, that Davis research for years. So we're fans of Alejandra for sure, and we're just honored you're here. So let's let's get into it a little bit more. Um, one of the things I think fascinates me, and I know so new, we kick it around. The idea that the last couple of years, Alejandra, consumer confidence has been low. I know it's come back a little bit, but just generally speaking, it has been low. And you see the chart of it. Then you see retail sales just going from left to right on the way up. How is it possible that people feel one way, but apparently do another when it comes to spending money? I swear that, you know, right? square circle for Taylor kind of Swift annoying. concerts, and, but all, all of it, you know, vacations, know. all it of was, it. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> oh, where'd you see her? Um, in Tampa with okay. my daughter. Yeah, nice. it was pretty spectacular. I, I wasn't a fan and I am now. It's, it was 
that changing. Well, anyways, I imagine that's, that's what convert you. We've talked about Taylor Swift in this podcast many, many times. She was <laughs> yes. one of the reasons late last year. I, I joked. I tried to buy tickets, right? And oh, it was wow. a disaster buying tickets. I told Sonu on the pod, on the podcast. I said, "There's no way we're gonna have a recession this summer when Taylor Swift tickets are going like this. Every, everyone's gonna be going out this summer, spend the money." It was, of course, a playful discussion. But then again, maybe not. Maybe last November you felt terrible, but you still spent six grand on Taylor Swift tickets. You know, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> which I did true. not. But yeah. well, I don't know. Um, how is that possible? Yeah, how is that, that, possible? that disconnect, I guess, if you will. No, it's it's it, another awesome question. Um, so that's all this podcast is. By no, awesome questions. Yeah. Wait till I start asking about food. That'll be <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Food disconnects and awesome mm-hmm. questions. Love it, love it. So um, it, we deal with a lot of data at NDR, and we try to test relationships with them and see what works and doesn't work. We do a lot of myth busting, and you know, a lot of the analysis we found when you look at you know comparing soft versus hard data. Mm-hmm. Generally, directionally, soft data is good. So if it's going down, economy's going down, generally speaking. Soft data moving up, economy follows. But what happens is, you know, to your point, soft data tends to just be very emotional on both sides. So it makes very, very large swings versus the actual hard data, which follows the trend but doesn't necessarily reach those extremities. So that could be one side of the argument. Um, The other argument, too, is it also just depends what consumer indicator you're looking at. So, um, you know, when I think, we we do a lot of charts at NDR and I'm visualizing all the charts in my head right now, but the University of Michigan index, that might be the one you were referring to. Mm -hmm. Been at rock bottom Mm -hmm. levels. Yes, it's turned around, but with the type of consumer growth we're seeing, I mean, growth is actually above potential now. Why would you have such a low number? And a lot of it just has to do with the way the question's framed. You know, mm-hmm. how do you feel the state of the economy? Um, you see high inflation, food's getting more expensive, oil's getting more expensive. You're going to react to that, right? So a lot of the way the question is framed is, you know, what's causing these more, you know, sort of negative readings. Um, there's also evidence that University of Michigan, especially over the past decade or so, as the U.S. political system has become more polarized, it tends to be more driven by mm-hmm. politics. So when, you know... Um, uh, Trump was was president. Democrats thought the economy was falling apart. When Biden, sure. you know, it's a total opposite. I'm I'm not taking sides. I'm just saying that's how the way the data is mm-hmm. showing. But if you look at the consumer confidence index from the conference board, mm-hmm. that one's actually held up pretty well, sure. pr- pretty right. high number yeah. for the most part. And again, it has to do with the way the questions framed. They ask you, how do you feel about your job? Well. Literally, it's pretty good, right? I still have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a new job. I got a pay raise. And so as a result, that number has been a little higher. On that as well. Like, Let me just jump, sorry, real fast. Just always remember the nine words Ronald Reagan told us. Hi. Or, I'm sorry. Not hi. It's hi be ten. Ten words. Hi. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. I think, you know, when it comes to government and surveys and stuff, you just never trust any of them. Want to know more about the impact the 2024 election may have on the markets and the economy? We'll be covering everything advisors and their clients need to know in the lead-up to Election Day, including what to expect from the markets, news out of Washington, and what historically happens after elections. You can find all of our 2024 election content at carsongroup.com slash election. I'd say speaking of uh, surveys, another place, because a lot... I think a lot of uh, market watchers, investment strategists, have historically followed the leading economic index. Speaking of conference board, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 
and it's been popular. It's done, mm-hmm. you know, a good job up until right now. Like for the what last fourteen months, it's pointed right. to a yeah. recession. I, I guess the short question is like, what's been the what's problem with that? Yeah. yeah, what's been the problem with that? So. Um, First, I will preface that question. It's kind of a shameless plug for NDR, but um, one of our mantras at NDR too is we believe in this notion of the weight of the evidence. And so what we typically do is we don't like to hang our hat on one indicator, Mm -hmm. case in point Y, right? We like to look at a broad array of indicators and we like to see confirmation from a vast majority of them before we make a call because many times what worked well in the past doesn't work as well in the future. And... In that spirit, we have a lot of these so-called recession watch reports for different countries around the world. And yeah, the LEI has been giving this negative signal, but not much else has. Actually, consumer, (laughs) the University of Michigan has as well too. But you're not seeing confirmation across the board. And so if you go and you actually look at the details of the LEI and a lot of the elements that drove it, um, it's again, the consumer sentiment, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it's also a very manufacturing-heavy index. Sure. And what's happened a lot is we've seen just this really, in the past, you know, looking at the manufacturing cycle, because that's what I used to do all the time, was excellent Mm -hmm. at calling, you know, dips and turns in business cycles. And while it still is, because of the pandemic, that got all wonky. So there's a technical word for you guys. And (laughs) not not very professional sounding. And services became sort of an offset. Mm -hmm. So, you know... That's why it's important to look at a lot of different things because depending on what little underlying elements are happening in the economy, sometimes something that worked well in the past may not work yep. so well in the future. I think that's such a good point about like relationships change over time. I, I mean, across different variables in the economy. And that's one thing I like NDR for as well, which is you have a lot of indicators. It's about putting a lot of puzzle pieces together as opposed to saying, oh, you know what? M2 is going down. We're doomed. That's the only thing. Right. So... Yeah, you know, some things are timeless, some things always work. Something that Sonu and I do before we present, mm-hmm. we've tried to do this several times, is about two hours ago, Sonu and I were at the legendary milkshake bar just a few mm-hmm. blocks away having huge milkshakes for lunch. We had to eat it. We had to it, eat it. I mean, his say, had a huge <laughs> brownie on top. I had cookies yeah, and stuff all over mine. It was, it was, we actually thought about going to lunch afterward. We were like, no, we're totally full. So <laughs> we literally had milkshakes for lunch today. I know. Anyway. I like it. Although none of my shirt, which is a minor, minor mirror. Well, that's what I was about to yeah. ask you. We'll get personal for a second. All What's right. your favorite milkshake? If you want to look at the standard flavors, mm-hmm. strawberry. Okay. And then okay. Um, cookies and cream. Mm-hmm. Then Heath Bar. Yeah, that would be yeah, my he, Sony did death by chocolate. And yeah, I, I only would, did chocolate. Yeah. 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 I did like a peanut butter chocolate. It, it, was, it was good. He's from um, Ohio. So. so we yeah, like yeah. different flavors. I like that. Um, so let's, we've got, let me just look, we've got about 10 minutes approximately for the podcast for people listening, everybody in the room will do some Q&A till the end there. Um, so Alejandro, do you have, we talked about indicators and I mean, NDR, we're huge fans, I mean you guys have so many. Do you have a favorite, is there like one you like to look at, I guess we're again talking macro, talking the economy that really says, you know what, maybe we are going to go in a recession. Oh no, 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 there's no recession. <laughs> is there one that you like to look at that really sums it up for you? It's like asking me who my favorite child is. You know who it is. <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. That's well, and then no, I, um, <laughs> and again, I go into this whole like discussion about weight of the evidence. Ne- never mm-hmm. hang your hat on one indicator. I know. Yes. I caught you. Man. So um, I will. I will do again. 
a shameless plug because these are internal models that we have. Mm -hmm. But in the intro, I talked about one of the most important things I do is identify whether we're in recession or mm -hmm. not. So we have our own in-house recession probability models. Yep. We have them for global, US, many large economies around the world. They even have a little bit of a lead time when they start bottoming or peaking. Um, so those are personally my favorite. Um, but you know, as an economist, I can't give you one answer. I have to give you a few. But they, they've been saying no recession, right? I mean, they've been, haven't they consistently been? They, they, they've, right. Yeah, the US yeah. no recession, um, our global model looks at more um, slowdowns and pickups in the global growth cycle. Mm -hmm. And um, that one actually showed one right. for 2022, okay. but for this year, for US, which was right. actually right. pretty spot on with what yeah, we saw exactly. in global equities. Right, I would say globally, sure. It did Sorry. a fantastic yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just say my two, and then maybe sound like, oh. you, like if you think about okay. what indicators, I said there's two I like to follow. Advanced decline lines, tells you how many stocks are going up versus mm -hmm. down. If advanced decline lines are breaking out, it's hard for me to say I'm bearish. Um, and then the second one is credit markets. If I see triple B spreads blowing out, mm -hmm. I say, hey, I might start getting worried. We're not seeing triple B spreads blowing out right now. We're not seeing um, you know, major breakdowns and advanced decline lines. Those are things I, at the end of the day, really follow. So no, is there one or two indicators you uh, really follow more than anything for kind of clues for the big picture view? Markets, I like the you know, uh, credit spreads. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, for the economy, goodness, it's a, we have our own Proprietary. I was, hoping I was hoping you'd answer with this. <laughs> right. Uh, she, with she, she plugged NDR, so I have to plug of cards course, and so proprietary economic indicators. We have 30 of them uh, for 30 different countries. Well, Russia is kind of iffy right now, but uh, we're not getting data, so it's on hold. So mm -hmm. technically 29 or 29 and a half or something. <laughs> if you don't get data, yes, it, yeah. you know, <laughs> that, that's a problem. But no, if you'd asked me, you know, before the pandemic, I would have said our oh, initial claims for unemployment mm -hmm. benefits. If I had to look at one, if you have forced me to pick one indicator. But that's, that data set's had so many issues over the last couple of years with the way states you know, uh, do their unemployment filing claims. Oh, that data set's been a mess. So I can't mm -hmm. say really, I still look at it. I, I'm looking at it all the time. Uh, but you know, if you had to look at one indicator, you know what, follow the unemployment rate. Mm -hmm. Not a bad indicator to follow. Yes, it's lagging and all that, but you know what? It comes out in the first week of every That's, month. Yeah. It's not that lagging. PMI, ISM PMI comes out on the first on the first day of every month. Within seven days of that, we get the unemployment rate. Yeah. It's not the worst indicator to follow if you had to pick one. So Alejandro, to the listeners and everyone in the room, what's one way, one way they can follow you or follow Ned Davis? What's the easiest way to uh, learn a little bit more about what you do? Oh, yeah. Um, well, so for people who are here at the conference, mm -hmm. um, we have a booth right next to the music stage. So would love for you guys to check it out and talk to us. Um, but we are on most social media. So you can mm -hmm. find us on LinkedIn, on X, um, YouTube. And you can also find me since I'm, I think, the only Alejandra Grindall. <laughs> you should be able to find me there as well. And I would love for you guys to, to follow us and um, you can definitely request more information when you go to any of those social media pages. Took me a moment to process X. Right. I know. I, I, X is I, Twitter. I'm surprised, X I, got Twitter, it. I'm surprised yeah, I got it right. right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sonu, maybe one, maybe two more questions, then we'll probably wrap it up and then do some Q&A. You spoke about, like, you, you were talking about the global economy. How much does the global economy, especially China, I'm curious about what your thoughts on China are. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, I, you know, another without spending another 45 minutes on China. but. Perhaps more importantly for you know our listeners, everyone here, 
how much of a blowback potentially could it have on the U.S.? Okay, so um, U.S. is still the most important. And part of it is just its economic size, right? It's the world's mm -hmm. largest economy. But from a financial perspective, we like to spread our problems, right? Our debt's everywhere, financial markets. I, we're, we're just sort of everywhere. So there tends to be just more of this you know, contagion impact from U.S. getting sick brings the rest of the world down with it. And then, of course, at NDR, we deal with data. So we have a bunch of correlation reports you know, just showing relationships among economies around the world. And even the data confirms relationships are much stronger with U.S. than they are with China. Now, that being said, China is still pretty darn big, right? Sure. World's second largest economy. Um, it's actually typically the largest contributor to global growth. Just mathematically, it has to be. Sure. Um, so if China slows significantly, that's going to have you know, an impact on that aggregate number. But in terms of its impact on the rest of the world, as I mentioned before, it's just not quite as strong. It's a lot more internalized than people think, the economy. Um, it does have closer relationships to Asia. So there are some risks there. But one thing we've noticed, again, when we look at the correlations and we look at the data, yes, they are strongly related to the Chinese economy. But a lot of that correlation has deteriorated since the pandemic started. And a lot of it was because of zero COVID with China. Um, a lot of it also had to do with these rising tensions between you know, the West and China and you know, sort of ultimately where's that alliance going to lie. And mm -hmm. you know, I, I think a lot of it's going to side a little more with the West. And we're seeing some, some signs of that. So yes, it's very important, um, definitely worth watching. But US is far more important for the global story we found. I, uh, somebody joked that, I don't know how many of you have seen uh, Terminator 2, uh, there's a T-1000, which has been you know, impossibly hard to kill off, right, in Terminator 2. The U.S. consumer seems like that, is joking, like <laughs> the U.S. consumer is like the T-1000 of the global economy, mm -hmm. right? It's just so hard to kill. I mean, if you talk about Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift concerts, you know, I was looking at the numbers, this is just you know, purely out of uh, curiosity, Weird curiosity, I should say, <laughs> that the U.S. consumer, U.S. households spend more on linens every month than Taylor Swift would have made over a, oh, across wow. our entire era's concert tour. Hmm. We spend more per month on linens. That's you know, but that gives you a sense of scale for the mm -hmm. U.S. economy. It also gives you a sense of what Sony likes to look at. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So again, we really want to thank Alejandra from Ned Davis Research for joining us on episode third. 53. 53. 53. Sorry, we're doing this out of order. 53 um, this week. This was a lot of fun. Is it okay if I use the F word? Is it going to offend anybody? Can I use the F word? Is it okay? Let's talk about the Fed. <laughs> Last question. Last question. The, the F word. I know. We don't like talking about Man, it. Man, you have going on that. I, mean, I know. It's There's only one person who's cussed on the show, I think. Yeah, that's true. Only one person's cussed on the show, and he might have his name on the door at the whole company. So congrats, Ron. Unless Alejandro does something right now. I know. So, I mean, listen, our take real quickly is we think the Fed is likely done. We know it can change. We think inflation's come back enough that they can take their foot off the pedal. What is Ned Davis's, Ned Davis Research's take on kind of Fed policy going forward? Last question for the podcast in Q&A in the room. Okay. So, um, in terms, pause in September. I think that's in the bag. Um, another hike, 50-50. Mm -hmm. So, maybe a little more hawkish mm -hmm. than what you guys are thinking. Um, and a lot of it is, again, data dependent. What happens with the inflation? We had the inflation this morning. was a little more than expected, yep. but, but not too bad. 
Um, it's just there's a few sort of iffy things toward the end of the year. Shelter, especially when you exclude lodging away from home, not, not really coming down that quickly. We'll have a reset in medical care services. I know I'm getting a little wonky, no, but, you know, there, there, there's just too many iffy No one's things. ever said the word wonky twice on our podcast. Oh, you can't so say You this, didn't cuss, right? but you broke a record there. I broke a record We just there. literally talked about linen, so you can talk about shelter. And I know. I, I love that. We go great. anywhere. I mean, the linen prices are going through the roof. It's going to send CPI to 5%. Yeah, with that, that, that strong demand. <laughs> um, I mean, that was good. I, I could okay. go a very long time, but I don't want to okay. put you guys no, we'll to sleep we'll, with that. We'll, we'll, we'll stop there. Good point. We'll stop <laughs> I'm trying to read the odds. So 50-50 odds. 50-50 odds of another hike later this year. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Well, Alejandro, thank you so much for joining us on this thank week's you. Facts versus Feelings. I know Sona and I had a blast. We're both sitting up here full of milkshake, but nonetheless, <laughs> we, we, we really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. The partnership with Ned Davis Research, I mean, I get your emails every day and I can't wait to read them. I've got a bunch built up the last three days, been a little busy, so I've got a lot of reading to do, but I think you just summarized how you see the world. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you so much. With that, Sona and I will be back next week with the latest Facts versus Feelings podcast. Take care, everybody. Information provided on Facts vs. Feelings with some of our geese and Ryan Dietrich are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. The statements and opinions of show guests may not be reflective of CWM LLC or its affiliates. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested indirectly. Investing involves risk including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Facts versus Feelings are not affiliated with CWM LLC.